Split to Media and a Synesthesia Podcast present a special daily October podcast. Help. 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 To the king. 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 Jason, have you read Stephen King's books? Read Stephen King's books, books, to Hell to the King, because that's... Oh, I know what I was going to say. Welcome to Hell to the King, sure. Uh, before we actually start talking about the Mangler, though, that's what we're talking about, is the Mangler. Um, I wanted to to give you an update on uh, my son's relationship to spooky things and Halloween. Please, Ooh. please. Um, while my dad was visiting, we showed him his second cartoon. We've already covered on this podcast mm-hmm. the time he watched his first, first cartoon. Which so was a Popeye. A it was a Popeye. Popeye. Uh, which is going to come up again later tonight. Great. <laughs> um, talking about this movie. Uh, but the second one we showed him was The Skeleton Dance. Oh. No. Uh, from yes. 1929 by yes. by Uber for Walt Disney. You say you're trying Probably. not to get him addicted to cartoons, Jason, but it sounds like you are trying to get him addicted to cartoons. Well, so I definitely... So whether or not I was trying to, <laughs> he has now pointed at the television... Mm-hmm every day, and said, I watch Spooky Skulls. Oh. I, me. I love him so much, Jason. So, he's watched it a few times, and then I always have to tell him that we're not gonna just sit and watch it over and over again, and he gets very mad at me that we don't just sit and watch it over and over again. Which is correct. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I gotta do what I gotta do. Of course. Uh, so. That's what a beautiful angel. He sat there watching it today, and Lucy was trying to talk to him, and he would just, like, straight up zone ignored her. He was, he was like... And then I was trying to talk to him, saying, like, okay, we're just gonna watch this once, and then when it's done, it's done. And he was not responding to me at all. So then it ends, Well, if he, he only looks gets to see goes, it once, Jason, he can't divide his attention. <laughs> then it ends, and he looks up and goes, again. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, we're gonna stop it now. And he just goes, Ah! It does his, like, full-on crank cry. So anyway, that's yeah. the update on my child's relationship to cartoons and Halloween. That's really uh, wonderful. I, I watch Spooky Skulls. <laughs> but here we are. It's night 23 of this month. <laughs> and I've made the command decision. I'm going to announce it right here and right now. We Ooh. only have a week left. Another Ooh. week of watching movies every day. The last episode's going to be a wrap-up. It's going to be a talking about oh. talking about. You're a hero. We're not gonna. We you can you can spend your Halloween viewing time on anything yeah. you want. You can watch all of these movies on repeat in your head because you can't think about anything else. I'm gonna introduce our guest so that she feels like she has license to speak. Do we have a guest? Yeah. We have a guest. Whoa! whoa. <laughs> Joining us tonight on the 23rd of October is my good friend and Jim's new friend Victoria Hello. Kwame Roden. You talked over her name. <laughs> That's fine. my job. <laughs> my job is to step on everything important. Victoria uh, is a filmmaker, a very good filmmaker, uh, and she is a video producer at Harvard University. Uh, and she, yeah, that is definitely the scariest thing we've talked about this entire month. 
Um, and she's just, she's she likes horror films, and she's a great person, and I'm really happy to have her on. Hi, Victoria. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this uh, this really joyous experience that has troubled me since I was probably nine years old. <laughs> well, you so I have a childhood experience with The Mangler. I do, I do have a childhood experience. <laughs> so I don't actually remember watching them. I remember that I watched the movie. I don't remember anything okay. that happened in it. So rewatching okay. it as an adult was a revelation. Had you seen it bes- between when it horrified you and now, or you would never revisit it? No, I never revisited it. It okay, just seemed like great. something le- to be left. But I, I watched the film, I went to bed, and then I had food poisoning that night. So I woke up in the <laughs> middle of the night as a nine-year-old feeling like I was you know, going to explode. I went to the bathroom, but the door was closed, and it was very dark inside, and it was making one of those weird bathroom noises. Sure. And so... I was like, well, this is it. I'm going to die. I think I would rather vomit in this hallway than, you know, be consumed by whatever inanimate (laughs) object has been possessed by the devil. I did end up going into the bathroom. There was no mangler there. I'm glad. Things worked out, so. I mean, I'm half glad, because if you had just fed one finger to it, you might be incredibly successful. (laughs) I'm glad we got right into that, uh, because I really wanted to... When I I was approaching people to guest on this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, I, I gave people, like, the list of movies... And and told them like which ones were already taken and which ones we might need people for. But when I talked to Victoria, it was pretty early in the process, and she had her pick of the litter, uh, and she came back immediately and said, "I can talk about the mangler." I knew everyone would which... want to talk about the good ones, so I would talk about the one that was probably not going to get a lot of love. I appreciate. I mean, that. I, yes, that's a as, that's a as great one who impulse. doesn't get a lot of love. I, I appreciate your instinct. <laughs> I, um, but having not even heard of the Mangler at that point in time, yeah. that you came back so fast with that yeah. as your choice, really impressed me, and it made me look forward to watching this movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it did I'm not. I'm sorry you looked forward to it because I went into this movie. The only thing I'd ever heard about this movie, Jason, is occasionally someone references it as a Stephen King out of control movie, right? They're like, yeah, and at some point in his career, he's just writing about whatever. There's this movie where a laundry machine is murdering people. And so that's what I had in my head. But for my whole life, I've thought, or my whole life, the last four years or whatever, when I've heard about it, I've assumed that it was a commercially available residential style laundry machine because that's what people seem <laughs> to imply that it is. Which, yeah. that is a stupid movie, uh, probably. Yes. Um, but it's not that. It's a huge commercial machine that could legitimately murder people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a mangler. <laughs> yeah, uh, technically a mangle. A mangle. Techni- which they call out once in the film, and then... One time. His brother-in-law de- is like, well, we're just going to The demonologist is like, it's a mangle, and then tw- ten minutes later is like, oh, but what about the mangler? And I'm like, you're the one who knows. <laughs> Sorry. Well, doesn't Ted Levine just keep calling it a mangler to him in that scene, too? He does. Yeah, like, yeah, he oh, does yeah. not oh, is it, It's a mangle. It's a mangler. Mangle. Mangle. It mangled a girl. Mangler. Was it, it's a mangler. Was it, was it a great big fat machine? Um, <laughs> when I started sorry. watching this, my husband walked in and was like, oh, that's Buffalo Bill. Yeah, it made me <laughs> yes. really happy. That was delightful. Yes. I love seeing Ted Levine in anything. Correct. Um, and seeing Ted Levine as a quasi-action hero leading man. Uh, is I don't know if that's the so correct delightful. read on this, Jason. I'm gonna make well, a, I'm gonna make a bold statement here. Please, there's a sequence at the end where he is his shirt is kind of ripped open and it's a it's a very mm-hmm. V-neck, sweaty, bloody situation, and his hair is mm-hmm. in his face. And I'm pretty sure that Pride and Prejudice in the United Kingdom, when they had the wet Mr. Darcy scene, they were referring to Ted Levine. They looked at him and was like, "Yes, this is what we want." <laughs> Yeah. This is exactly it. Give us so. this moment from the Mangler. Yep. Ted Loving. Right. Um, 
I I don't know who's maybe one of y'all wants to come out and say this first, but I think this is top five Stephen King movies. <laughs> um, I, yes, this is, easily for easily. me. This is easily. This is I I counted and I think this is the fifth movie that I think just one hundred percent lands and couldn't be like there are a few that have caught us off guard and been amazing like graveyard shift but graveyard shift yeah. still there are things about it that could be better but i think this is the best possible interpretation of this film for me this is up with the shining and uh, the dead zone uh, and christine and maximum overdrive as being just the most of what it is that it can be and being completely fully realized it it is it is completely of a like it it achieves a certain tone yeah. which is insane yes. and maintains that tone yeah throughout in completely. a very impressive way yeah um but let's ask victoria since she's revisiting this from her childhood trauma yeah. how yeah, yeah, she yeah. found this movie yeah so I, I will preface this by saying I'm a big fan of Stephen King's short stories. So I okay. was actually, I reread the short story and the story itself is maybe 10 pages. It is it is very tight prose. And so I was a little concerned going in. It was a fairly faithful adaptation. They added a bunch oh, of really? stuff. And quite frankly, sure. I think they could have cut it down a little bit. This movie did not need to be two hours. This was a solid 125 and it would have been fantastic. But in theory, in theory, I agree. At the yeah. same time, I can't think of anything I want cut out. But I'm, you can you can lay that, that out boat. for us. I'll I'll boat. listen to the arguments. <laughs> Fair enough. I can actually I can think of one thing I would trim out, but we can talk about that. Oh. But I was just I was just kind of shocked that they they pulled a lot of quotes from the actual short and they oh, hit wow. all they hit all of the beats and they actually they did a very good job, especially with the icebox scene in the middle of the mm. film. Um, that was very mm. that was kind of short and it was very passive in the short story, but they made it into this weird, active, buck wild scene with the. <laughs> Everything is happening on screen, including the weird demon tornado. Was oh my god, was a so moment. Beautiful. That yeah. was that was really something. Um, but yeah, totally. I think it was really. I think they did a really good job, especially in the laundry, um, yeah. just kind of setting the scene and using every inch of that weird warehouse that they had access to. The sets in this movie are such Toby Hooper sets, right? They're oh my so god, grimy, yeah. and everything is so dark and wet and upsetting. It's just every inch of every space they're in is uh, beautiful and uh, and so well put together. I love, even if this movie was like a Kayana Scotsy of the places where they shot this movie, I would love it. Yes. It was yeah. beautiful and filthy and industrial. Yeah. Aside from brother-in-law's house. Was his, his like twinkly, delightful, hangy thing house. Like all of a sudden we're in this magical fairyland. Yeah. The wind Yes. And- well, because that's what that guy is, right? <laughs> he's the he's the he's the demonologist brother-in-law. He is he believes in the magical fairies. Well, he should have done a bit more reading. There was oh my god that one scene where Ted Levine. Uh, I think I wrote down a thing he says because it's funny. Oh yeah, he uh, it's it's just after the brother-in-law says Sandra really loves you in reference to Ted Levine's dead wife, and Ted Levine says whatever, uh, and then demands that he needs beer and shoves his cigarette into the mouth of a hanging metal pterosaur. It's maybe the best two seconds of a movie I've ever seen. Um, and I think it's right after that there, or maybe it's a different scene, but there's definitely a scene that ends similar to that where they're walking into the house mm-hmm. and the, t- the brother-in-law needs something to eat. Yeah. Is it whole Ted, Is it yeah, organic? Well, but no, but the thing he asks, <laughs> Ted Levine says, I have some yogurt. Do you want yeah, some yeah, yogurt? And he says, is it whole wheat? Yeah. So that's, I think, the only note I made in the whole movie because everything <laughs> else so I was beautiful. just so absorbed by the film. The, um, 
Here's, okay, here's the thing, is that I, I feel like I've said this about a couple of the movies that we've watched, but I think I mean it the most about this one, and that is I want a TV show that is just these two men solving crimes together, just this, like, downtrodden, oh. angry mess of a... Ted Levine never even gets his spine straight in this whole movie. He's the most downtrodden man you've ever seen. Uh, and he has a voice that sounds like a muddy boot. And he has this <laughs> brother-in-law who who sounds like a who sounds like a crispy leaf in the wind and believes in monsters and they're like it's like almost i've never watched x-files but i think it's similar to that x-files dichotomy right and if they had a show where eight times out of ten nothing demonological was actually happening and then once in a while something was uh i would watch it every night it's the best their, their interactions are amazing. I always have a dream that there's going to be some really good paranormal investigator television show for me yeah. to watch. And it's there never is. Never, it never comes about. Um, and like, I don't know, maybe I'll just have to make it someday. But yeah. I always think like, oh, that's going to be that, or this is going to be that. I I mean, this, this character from The Mangler, um, we've referenced Lord of Illusions a few times on here, even yes. though it's Clive yes. Barker and not Stephen King, but Harry yeah. Damore. Yes. Um, from, from that, particularly if portrayed by Scott Bakula. Yeah. And Alan Pangborn. Yes. Uh, the the um, the sheriff, is uh, like Castle Rock sheriff, repeatable sheriff. Yeah, I uh, all three of those characters could support their own show, but yes. I, now I want just like a a interwoven dovetailing show where you're sometimes following one and sometimes following sure, the they other, all work and sometimes it like together. goes through Castle Rock and sometimes it's going somewhere else. And it's like Gotham maybe they TV, don't even really like each universe. other that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this is well, my version of what I want Castle Rock to be, and Castle Rock's just going to be about a lot of other things that aren't. I Ed bet Harris it's not going to be Alan nearly Pangborn. sweaty enough. The, yeah. the thing that's so strong about these two dudes, Jace, is that they are... It's like uh, Harry Damore ripped into two, right? Because because yes. Harry Damore is, is a hard-boiled detective who deals with monsters. But this is a resentful, angry, drunken man who gets into not one, but three fights with his own jacket in this movie. Uh... <laughs> Paired with this, like, wispy, organic, yogurt-eating demonologist <laughs> who isn't very good at his job. They're so beautiful together, and they can yeah. bounce off each other the whole time. You know, it's it's like how you need the character to ask questions to make to make the thing sing. Uh, yeah. They can always be fighting with each other. Yeah, one of them's always going to have a handle on something the other one doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I think it's great, and I also think, um, so at first that actor playing the uh, brother-in-law bothered me a little bit really? um, because well it, it, but it was it was my fault I wasn't I wasn't you hadn't vibing to what the movie was yeah. doing um, because so so oh go ahead I, this is the only, despite the fact that we're watching 40 movies this month, I watched this one twice. I watched the movie and immediately <laughs> restarted it because <laughs> I loved it so much. If I hadn't been in a position where I was going to have to like get up in four hours to a hungry one-year-old, I probably sure. would have done the same thing, because I this movie was stunning to me. Yeah. Mainly just that it existed in the purity that it did, that nobody yeah. like came in and yeah. Toby Hooper stop it. Yes. Uh, because that is what you expect to happen with something like this. Uh, someone someone know- would see the old man makeup they're putting on Robert England and be like, oh no. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> yeah. not what we asked for at all. <laughs> Can we talk uh, about Robert England's character? Please. Because I yes. have some questions. I appreciate his cedar <laughs> chewing. 
I yeah. appreciate that he says things like, Raleigh, I didn't like that old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I needed the subplot about him, like, trying to get with predator? a... He, it wasn't even that he was a second... Like, that young woman seemed to want to be... I wasn't sure if she wanted it or not. It was very weird. She definitely... Are we I, I, I think, willingly, she, I think she, she saw somebody, somebody get murdered, and then it was like, well, yeah. this is maybe not the optimal time, but I guess I'll take yeah. off my sweater and... I'll let well, you see me in this tank top. At that point, hasn't she already been bitten by the machine? Yeah, so that, yeah. that's so why she brought her up. She has the demon in her at that point, and I think that's what's making her sort of, she sees this, or doesn't understand it, but feels this connection to the... the this is well, one I of the things that I could have happily removed from the film and not had them, for sure. and had it be I, I very think comfortable. That's probably, I think that's probably correct. I get wanting to murder all the 16-year-old virgins. Great. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> also, it gave us the opportunity to have the brother-in-law just kind of scream, are you a virgin? Which is oh, fantastic. Yes. What's yeah. wrong with you? Like, Are you a pervert? She, she, it doesn't matter if I'm a matter. pervert. Oh, it's perfect. You know what? Live, live your truth. That's great. Yeah. It is irrelevant if I am a pervert. Um, no, I, I, could, I could see eliminating that. To me, it was so murky that it didn't set off my, like, I, I just wasn't really thinking along those lines. But I could totally see just kind of getting rid of a little bit of that in there, or like trimming that somehow. I, what I wouldn't want to lose is that character's conversion into full-on insane demon lady later. Yeah, sure. Because she's super fun. Yeah. So you I'd want to find some way to get from A to B without the yeah because it isn't necessary. Uh, the the only bummer said. about that, and maybe there would be a way to work this in. Maybe I'm just nitpicking. The only bummer about removing that plot line would be losing uh, Robert England saying the only thing worse than a devil within is the devil without, and pulling his sunglasses. <laughs> really upsetting and dirty you could just uh, make that the first shot of the film yeah that's true yeah just, <laughs> just a tone setter that was not um oh so so do we who does anybody want to want to just give a quick pitch to the audience as to what this movie even is <laughs> all right hi audience so the mangler <laughs> the mangler is set do we even have a state for where this is set or is it just it is in new Maine. England? In Maine. okay is it man all right mm-hmm so they, in, they say what town it is, but I don't remember. It's the industrial heart of Manhattan. Right. It's something falls or river. It, yeah. it doesn't really yeah. matter. But basically, it's one of your, something sp- falls your spooky, <laughs> spooky Stephen King town in which yeah. there is an industrial laundry overseen by Robert England, whose name within the film I can't remember because it's not really important. He's a giant yeah. jerk. He's overseeing this laundry. He's overworking employees. He's also an old man with metal legs. Sure, he does have metal legs and wears <laughs> sunglasses indoors to cover his spooky yeah. blue his blind eye. eyes. Yes, it's, it's it's very strange. So his niece is working in this laundry and um, cuts her hand on this very large mangle or laundry press. And at the same time, a large refrigerator is almost dropped on her and there are weird blue sparks, which is where we get the idea that something is going wrong. You've got Ted Levine as the uh, downtrodden cop who's just having a bad day. And he gets called into a case every where... Day. He has a bad day every day. He does not seem to have a joyous life. It may be about his dead wife. It may just be he's been living... He's trying to, like, get to his pension and get out of this town. Yeah. That's fine. We've all been there. So he gets called into this case in this laundry where an old woman has been pulled into the laundry press and everybody vomits because seeing yeah. a woman folded up like laundry is gross. Yeah. 
she's legitimately pressed and folded. Like they, they put her in a, yeah. they take her out in a basket. It's truly grimy. It's kind of amazing. I, there's a beautiful sequence with the flashbulb, and you kind of see what's happening. And I uh, appreciate that you when they get into uh, the special effects. Sorry, little. a flashbulb in <laughs> the camera of JJJ Pictureman. Triple J. <laughs> we will just call him Triple J, like a radio station. Who's also a young man in an old man makeup. He plays another character too. Yeah, he plays the mortician. That, yeah. Oh, the mortician. Which there's a scene where he talks to the mortician Ted Levine. The only scene the mortician's in, he walks out and then immediately Pictureman walks in and scares yeah. Ted Levine. It's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> After offering him a cherry tomato. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what I want to eat when I'm reassembling a laundry press corpse <laughs> next to a gross body. Yeah. Mm, yummy. So why what why did why what ha- was this just a, a a standard industrial accident with some some safety Surely it's just a safety Oh no. An OSHA is followed. But the safety commission comes in. They can't find anything wrong. What, what will we do? That seems suspicious. Ted Levine thinks that there might be something afoot here. So he checks in with his brother-in-law who says, well, have you considered the laundry press, also called a mangle, which we will not mention again for the rest of the film, <laughs> might be possessed? His brother-in-law, <laughs> it's worth noting, is a demonologist, and this is probably his answer to everything. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not the first time he suggested that a thing might be possessed. Yeah, oh, my it, toast is burnt. My toaster's yeah. possessed. My cat yeah. is acting a little funny. Have you considered possession? Has <laughs> your cat are just a force like electricity. <laughs> Has your cat had the blood of a virgin? That's the most popular one. It's usually the virgins. I'm not a pervert. Don't ask about that. <laughs> so they have a chat, and Ted Levine's not convinced. What happens next in the sequence? But I feel like somebody that is else. hard to hard to remember. <laughs> You're going in way more detail than I think we've ever even tried to before. Right. They, I, so, they, so he decides. They start to examine, and then I should, someone yeah, else we, gets sure. We should probably save. Sorry. Just stop you for your own. No, no, just too for detail, your sake. No, no, no. Everything no, was great. I'm I just enjoying. don't want you. You don't. Want... <laughs> and another person dies, and then they investigate, and then they go talk to the 16-year-old, and she right. says something about how the refrigerator bumped the machine, and Ted Levine's like, oh, it was a short. After walking in and be- and seeing a case full of weird dolls and being legitimately yeah. delighted. It's the only time he shows his joy <laughs> yeah. in the whole movie. <laughs> oh, your dolls are lovely! case of weird dolls, yeah. Um, that's fine. And, yeah, so he's like, oh, it's definitely a short. But that's when the brother's like, are you a virgin? And the girl's like, get out of my house! Um, so they're both convinced that they're correct. Right. And then they're driving home, and they see that there's a police area cordoned off and they find that the refrigerator who had almost the truck had almost crashed into ted levine and then this mm. after it was removed from this laundry after almost mm-hmm. crushing uh i want to say it's sherry sherry so yeah. it's sitting in this front lawn after it had been deposited there and oh no a little boy has been trapped inside what? he is very dead then <laughs> as soon as the boy is taken away by the ambulance with his wailing mother looks inside there are some dead birds and then it tries to eat and his brother and one alive bird which that were presumably the in there with the dead kid you know i'm not sure if they didn't notice the birds or like what you know so the brother-in-law reaches in and then all of a sudden it, it tries later. to this refrigerator tries to eat him and then mm. ted levine goes buck wild and starts hammering it yeah. and all of a sudden there's a demon tornado so and that's oh, sorry no. can we 
can I pause you? That's the power of Ted Levine's <laughs> character in this movie, is that he has no interest in the demon theory. He doesn't believe there are demons involved, but he does know that this is the refrigerator that bumped into Sherry when she hurt her hand, and that it, ha- it has hurt his brother-in-law, and he, as a reaction to that, as a man who does not believe that demons are involved, screams, punches it, finds a hammer, and then smashes it until it explodes. Hey, this is why we take doors That's off of Ted Levine's character. This is why I we take it. the doors off White Goods. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> so many violations here. There's so many problems. Yeah, OSHA... But- Come with me, and you'll be in a world of OSHA violations. So anyway, there's probably a demon. Oh, shit. Go to the morgue. We see the reassembled body. He grabs more of these antacid pills. Become very become important later. Oh, which he gets from the old lady who is eating by the machine. He steals them from the the old lady, who is like, drop them in this machine. So very long story short, we go back to the laundry where the foreman is starting to think, you know, maybe there is something bad about this machine. Maybe we shouldn't, like, have a death machine on the floor. So That foreman, also, what a delight. He's a drunk old man, uh, middle-aged, late middle-aged man, who has has white paint brushed into his hair because he is made (laughs) old like a theatrical person, and has a bright red nose because he is a drunk, and just yells every Everything he says, and he's great. He's doing his best, you know? George. Somebody he's had to awesome. do their best in this movie, and like, yeah. like within the plot of the movie, and he is one of the yeah, people yeah. who's doing his best. Unfortunately, yeah. that means he has to die, he gets ripped apart. Uh, Sherry is very unsettled by this. Um, <laughs> Sherry gets sent back to the house, and then her uncle and the young woman that he's with are, you know, doing their demonic rituals or whatever. At some point, we find out that this whole town, anyone who's missing a limb has, like, sacrificed usually their 16-year-old virgin daughter, because it's always daughters. Mm-hmm. I don't say anything about any sons here. Something well, about no. that. Those, this is those virgin about, girl children. Uh, it's, it's a movie about capitalism being evil and the patriarchy using the bodies of young women. Sure. For gain. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, they're doing these rituals. Um, Ted Levine is like, oh no, Sherry, how old is she? She's she's 16 tonight. It's her birthday today. Ah! So he goes to get her, but alas, her uncle has taken her to feed her to the mangler. There's a very big showdown between the girlfriend and the uncle and Sherry and Ted Levine. Um, Unfortunately, and the mangler, mangler, who is tired of Robert England and is ready for him to get folded up. And so that's what happened. It just reaches out with its little metal arm and rips him up and... (laughs) There we in are. A, a bravura scene of Robert England being eaten. It was very so good. good. That was a beautifully done scene. Um, in which he prays our father who art in heaven, but to the devil. Right. Yeah. And Delightful. Ted Levine just shakes his head. And, oh, terrible. <laughs> so they do a little he's ritual. Just, he's too bedraggled to feel anything else. Well, also that <laughs> long wet day. And that was his favorite sparring coat. That's Aww. true. Rest in peace. So they do a little ritual. They spray some holy water. And a lot is made of these antacid pills because the one thing that would change the ritual is Hand of Glory. Also known as Belladonna, which is in these pills that got eaten with the Mangler. And so that just pisses it off, and it means it could eat a stack of Bible. And so the Mangler comes animate, rips itself from the floor, grows hands, and starts just ripping everything apart. It uh, eats the brother-in-law. Sherry and Ted Levine jump into the sewer and somehow escape. They go to the hospital where Sherry is taken away and has a bandage on her hand. Ted Levine is sad, and then he goes to visit Sherry, who, oh no, has taken over the factory and is missing a finger and has weird metal braces on her legs. <gasps> oh no! Ted Levine throws the flowers he has brought her into a bin and walks off looking dejected. To go do more cases. On I mean, at TV this point, he's been he's been fired from his job, so I imagine he's going to go be a cop oh, yeah, somewhere right. else. Because at this point, yeah. oh, fuck that shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's just driving out of town because for for your TV show to work, Jim, yeah. we have to bring the brother in law back. Although mm-hmm. maybe he could just be a ghost. 
Ooh. Like the hologram and Fine quantum with leap. That. Yeah. Fine with that. Perfect. Yeah. Ted Levine's going to drive and move to Castle Rock. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's going to be wandering around solving crimes with his ghost brother-in-law, and Alan Pangborn's yes. going to be wandering around being like, who is this guy who just came into town? I love that because then Ted Levine has a ghost sidekick, but still doesn't believe in supernatural things. <laughs> yeah. Even though he interacts with one consistently. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's I just want them to go to Florida. I just want them to <laughs> not be in New England, because then at least you'll get rid of the weird, spooky New England, like, well, crucible kind of, stuff every, that's happening. Everyone from Maine goes to Florida for the winter, so they would still have to deal with it for four months a year. Uh, all the vampires would fly down there. Uh, it's true. We've also established pretty well through all of these movies that if people from Maine go somewhere else, they just yeah, bring shit. They with bring them. it with them. Mm-hmm. I, do you think like, that to Colorado Stephen King's and whole career Iowa. has affected the whole country's perception of what Maine is over the last forty years? I don't think it's Possibly. an inaccurate perception. I mean, because here's the thing: he he's in a long. He may have affected specifically Maine. Like, yeah. I think that's probably true. Like Maine has a certain like well, right? But but Maine was already part of New England, and so I think maybe Maine took on a a little bit of an extra King shine. But uh-huh. King's operating in a very long tradition of horror fiction of New set and story. and yeah, yeah, and true. coming out of New England, like right. Hawthorne, Lovecraft. Right. But most of the rest of yeah, that is all specifically Massachusetts, isn't it? No, 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 no. Lovecraft is Providence. Uh, Hawthorne's uh, okay. all over the place. Um, New England is so it's like, you know, it's, being it's, weird it's, and insular and full yeah, of like yeah, right. <clears throat> demons in possession. That's what we do. But I do think I do think he's now the the main like main <laughs> I see branch what you of did that. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like if if Hawthorne is in Massachusetts and Lovecraft is in Rhode Island. King is yeah. in Maine, and so it, sure. you know he's part of that constellation. I should become the New Hampshire guy. Obviously, I should learn how to write prose. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this movie, as we just heard, has a lot of plot, uh, <laughs> and it it goes all over the place. Um, I don't even know where I want to start talking about this. <laughs> Let me. Can I? Victoria, you've read the story. Yes. Which I have not. But I, I did a little research because I w- couldn't stop thinking about this. Um, <laughs> and from what I could tell... So in the movie, this might be... I don't know, Jason, if you've done more research than me. You probably have. You're a prepared human. On this one? Probably um, not. Okay, great. It sounds um, like. So in this... In the movie, this is a thing that has been a haunted thing for hundreds of years. But from what I gather in the short story, it is haunted because over the course of the story, a series of accidents happen that simulate a demonic summoning. Right. There is no no spooky New England town. There is no people actively feeding into it. It's accidental. There's blood. You get blood of a virgin. Accidentally a bat flies in. Right. Accidentally they put in something with like jello that has horse hooves. Right. Then you get the hand of glory. cemetery dirt gets in there. Right. So they, which is a super hilarious short story. And I love that. But that's not in this movie. In this movie, it's been haunted for a long time. But I think that for the long form shape of the movie, I think it's smart. Because I think that lets them bring in this sort of old money capitalism critique thing, uh, which is very Toby Hooper, uh, and also very Stephen King, uh, I think. It's at least very graveyard shift. And and it's so smart, I think, and is is great. Um, But all of of Toby Hooper's movies are like, I hate the man, you know? Which is part of why I love them. 
Well, and it meshes well with, as I was going to point out, the the um, like terrible working conditions, you know, pro labor. And when I when this film sure. first started, I almost thought like, am I is this going to just be graveyard shift redux, but not right. necessarily as lovely because there's a lot of parallels. Yeah, because there's like a tyrannical foreman, and there's yeah. people in terrible working conditions, and mm-hmm. there's some kind of monster lurking, and it's very similar. Um, but obviously, this became 100% its own thing. Yeah. Um, although, but, it, it's also worth mentioning uh, for this film's reputation as like, oh, Kings gets out of control. At a certain point, he's writing about a laundry machine. Yeah. This is from the same book as all of the rest of the movies that we've talked about. That oh, is that true? Stories. This is all he is from not doing cocaine his yet. Oh, wow. first short story book. Oh, wow. It's also, um, it's not weirder than, for example, Christine, right? It's just another yeah. movie where a demon gets inside an object. Exactly. Which, well, and like, Christine came way later. He's, he explores several times, and I think it's a good, I don't know, I think it's a worthwhile yeah, yeah, thing yeah. to talk about. But like, I think, Children but of I think, Corn, Jason, I think Man, thinks, all of those stories are from yeah. one book. I think that I like that you included Lawnmower Man. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the everyone thinks I think I always assumed from hearing about it is that it's like a home washer, you know, like a washer dryer unit. Yeah, uh, sure, sure, sure. You get that, when, that Family Guy joke, like a lamp monster. Boo. Yeah, exactly. And when people present it that way, you're like, oh, it sounds dumb. It sounds like he's just yeah, phoning it in. Totally. But that's not what it is, even a little bit. But uh, Jason, that that does I think get back to what you were asking about the uh, Belladonna, the Hand of Glory, uh, where. <laughs> yeah. It's where it's in the story. I think it's more significant because these guys, this thing has been accidentally summoned over the course of a month where a series of accidents cause a demon (laughs) to occur. And they assume going into trying to exercise it, that it can't have eaten any belladonna because that doesn't grow nearby, but these pills contain it. And so it's actually a much more powerful demon than they could have guessed. Uh, And they're fully unprepared. Um, Oh, okay. And in the movie, that's a little bit shoehorned in. And I think that's probably what you're feeling about it is. I mean, it's, is that what you were... Cause you were saying you were having trouble tracking the pills. And it's just... just it's the, the way they play them at the beginning, and I think this is a clever way to introduce them relatively, is that the lady... The first woman, Gar- Garley, Gorley, Edith, Frawley. whatever her name is, that... Frawley, yeah. that falls in at first. She drops several of her precious antacids onto the belt, and she's trying to grab them, and that's how she gets right. sucked in. So they're played as just being sort of important in that moment, but then later... The monster has eaten a half a dozen of the Belladonna. I think it's good that he keeps eating them throughout the film, just because otherwise it would feel very weird. Otherwise, I guess what I just couldn't, what I didn't have was an understanding that this was a real thing. Oh, like Mm. an antacid with Belladonna in it? Yeah. No, that's a Stephen King contrivance. I feel like it's probably like heart pills. I'm looking it up right now, and it's a natural alkaloid. So I think it is. So it could be. I think it there wouldn't is a be, but use. it could be. That might be another thing that maybe happened in the 1950s, but doesn't happen anymore. Because now they would just be made of baking soda or whatever, right? It's right, like whatever exactly. is incredibly cheap and alkaline. Um, um, so, so that was what I was confused about because it seemed like because it was this like rare, weird, mystical root that somehow the it being in the pills had to be significant in some way and it didn't occur to me that it was just supposed to be these are normal antacids that right. happened to have it in it I that see, I, I just they didn't even occur to me that that was what I was supposed to be gleaning from that yeah. I thought it was something far more sinister of like oh it started me thinking of like well why did the woman have that yeah, in the pills right, was right. she like in on it or is there something I'm supposed to be getting from I this see. and I and I didn't realize it was just supposed to be like oh yeah belladonna yeah. sometimes it's used and stuff you were just digging too deep 
Yeah, but uh, it one hundred percent is still just like a thing that you can buy as a dietary supplement. Yeah, there you go. Um, so it, it it's it's a, I'm sure that what happened was he just saw some antacids once and noticed that and knew because he's a real big nerd. Yeah, that you know that is featured in a lot of folklore, and so he yeah. was like, "Oh, that would be funny if that somehow worked its way into something somewhere." And then that you know just popped out of his head when he wrote the story in five minutes. Yeah. So, which is not to we... not to denigrate the story. That's just how fast he used to write. I yeah. Um. The uh. I I also I loved the. I mean, I think I agree with you, Victoria, that it's important that he's sort of eating them through the whole movie, and then he steals them from that woman's purse because it sort of keeps <laughs> them in your mind the whole movie. Um. And also reinforces that he's a dirtbag and, mm-hmm. like, just can't survive. But I, I also, if I were making the TV show, he would never stop eating antacids. I think that's such a charm. Oh, yeah, he would be chomping the whole time. But the other, I know I already mentioned this once, but I want to go back to it because I am obsessed with it. But there's, the first time Ted Levine goes in and sits on the, sits on the machine and it bites his jacket. Mm-hmm. And then he fires ten bullets through his jacket yeah. <laughs> to get free. <laughs> and then... Ten minutes later in the movie, he accidentally shuts his coat in the car door and throws himself against a wall uh, and screams obscenities and like and yanks it out of the door and freaks out. And I understand that it's a throwback to when he sort of got it caught in the machine, but it's also just such a relatable moment. Uh, I feel like the way he reacts to things, I really identify with. Um, he just like screams and then goes and talks to the uh, talks to his brother-in-law while drinking uh, milk out of a glass vase, and then and then just before they go in for the final. Sh- showdown they're talking outside the car and he literally punches his own jacket off of his own arms <laughs> to get it off his body he just thrashes until it falls off himself and his relationship with the code is so i don't know i love it I, it's so good ted- everything ted levine does in this movie is amazing well here's the thing ted levine as an actor across yeah. his career makes exclusively I, good choices. I guess I'm only familiar with him as Buffalo Bill. And Buffalo Bill is, you know, it's it's a good thing in a good movie. Uh, but I've never sought out other Ted Levine. And he's... I mean, everyone he, in this movie is at 120% top to bottom. Well, I mean, the thing about Ted Levine is that he shows up in small parts in different places, and you're yeah. always excited to see him, but they are always parts that can't compete with the image of Buffalo Bill in your head. This of is course. the first time I've ever found something that uses him... Yeah. To an even larger extent than Silence of the Lambs did. Because Silence sure. of the Lambs had a very specific use for him, and he yeah. made tons of good choices within that, but it's a small part. Yes. You know, it's a small part with a huge impact. Yeah. This is, you know, that's why I said he's like this quasi action hero leading man sure. in this film and that's he gets to do so much and make and nobody is is toning him down nobody is saying like oh no we need to smooth you out we need to make you more <laughs> of a normal hero toby hooper's like no give me all the levine you got yeah you know i'm giving you all the hooper i got like let's, yeah. let's just do it everybody's to the max hooper fully understands the tone of the story he's adapting and makes the movie correctly <laughs> yeah so let's talk about that though because that is a minority opinion, for really? sure. <laughs> um, I actually don't even know that we've gotten a clear take from Victoria as to how much she enjoyed oh, this film yeah. or not. And I'm and I'm curious to know it because we're sitting here being like, "Blah, we're big weirdos who like these dumb things." And I don't know if maybe Victoria's sitting here being like, "Guys, the movie wasn't." You can say you hate it. Not, a, not no one will be mad. Yeah, we'll be fine. I definitely yeah. don't hate it. I loved everything with Ted Levine. I just like I said, I think. There was a solid 30 minutes that could have been cut out, and I would have been perfectly comfortable with it, because definitely by the end, like, a 
I was not excited to go into the big fight scene until Robert England got smoothed by the mangler. I was just like, this is fine, this is great, but I'm tired of it. So, so the, that, that I can okay. understand as a reasonable objection, and I think that we probably, if the three of us sat down with this movie, we probably could make a better edit. Um, well, and I can tell you the thing that I, and this is maybe for different reasons than you than you have, but for me, I'm super into practical and not digital effects. Yeah. And this is yes. another movie on that cusp where the digital stuff is bad. And I think Cooper is so smart about limiting that digital stuff to basically just when the mangler is running uh, and then occasional details. And and even when it's happening, it's mostly in darkness. And so it's clearly goofy 1995 CGI or whatever, but it's it's mostly just hidden. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also don't need that sequence where it breaks free. I I could I could deal with this movie. You would have to put something else between their final showdown and Sherry taking over the factory, but I could deal with this movie without the, I, I don't without even the machine need ever Sherry taking around. over the factory. Like that sure, to me, sure. it, but it, it's like it's a fine note, but it doesn't. You, yeah. I knew it was gonna go that way as soon as he let yeah, the doctor with one fi- without right. a finger taker. So it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, it's you just kind of pro forma from movie. there. I could just yeah, we yeah. could just deal with all of that. That's fine. I would. Um, yeah, so I yeah. I would. I, there was nothing until that point that I didn't love, <laughs> but I agree with you from there on out. But okay. I, my, I my I only point is that that Tell is a, a a uh, qualified criticism, right? It's like yeah. there's a lot of things to like in this movie, and then I would make X Y Z changes. And we've done that. Of we even did that with like we gushed over Everything. Graveyard Shift and how much we loved that. And then yeah. we when we were like, how would we fix this? We will completely restructure it. <laughs> it's yeah, like we, we still love the movie, movies that but are we will we'll, yeah. we'll like move this to there, and we'll change who the main character is. And we'll like whatever, so that that's all fine. That's that's like an act of of love. That's your you're in sympathy with the movie, and you just want it to be better. Yeah, I have been doing uh, in preparation for our final episode, where mm-hmm. where we're gonna. I'm not sure exactly what we're gonna do, but we're gonna do some sort of larger like metatextual look at everything, like taking a look at how these movies stack oh, up against like each other. Like we do for the first 15 minutes of every episode. <laughs> no, no, no. But but not about Stephen oh. King. About us. About oh, us okay. and about these movies. That uh, really how, how these movies stack up to one another and, and where we come down finally on some of our theses. Uh, our theses, Jason? Our theses that we throw mm-hmm. back and forth at each other. Yeah, yeah. Like um, I, I went through and I uh, one of the things I've done is I've gotten a full ranking of all of the movies that we're doing based on IMDb, someone else? Oh, okay. Based on IMDb user ratings. So... Ooh. You know, I don't trust like, those people. Well, I don't trust them either, except that I trust them to represent what people... To be the popular. ...who think they like movies... Yeah, that's fair. ...believe. Would you, say um, that, would you say that IMDb rankings are more reflective of the general populace or of self-styled cinephiles? I would say of people who... Of self-styled cinephiles. Okay. Which is um, all cinephiles. I don't know why I was being redundant. Anyone and parents, because you're, also you know trying to, you're casting a little shade on them. That's all. There is a parental subset of IMDb where they will give parental warnings oh, that are right. That's true. Phenomenal. I've read those before. For if sure. I ever yeah. want to get really excited about a movie, like I went to see Midsummer and I looked at the parental reviews because you know you're I, like you're like what is the Christian Science Monitor mad about? Right. Like I, oh good that'll be exciting and you know so on and so forth. <laughs> They're very explicit about everything that will happen in the film. So that's useful. Yeah. Um, so I'll put it this way. I, I think that the IMDb user ratings are reflective not of the general populace like as a whole, of the whole like movie-going public, mm-hmm. but of it, their like, 
like a, they're not quite your more narrow cinephile people. It's, it's more Joker fans than Thor Ragnarok fans. No, I think it's the opposite. It's probably oh, okay. Thor Ragnarok fans than Joker fans. But okay. it, it, what it is, is is it's it's all people who really like movies as opposed to just sometimes go to the movies. Okay. So it's not representative of like the entire American public, but it's a representative of of the mainstream of people who care enough about movies to put user ratings online. So anyway. I, I just thought this was probably the best way to just get a snapshot of what, in general, people kind of think about these movies. Sure. So where is the Mangler on this list? So we have a list of 35 movies, because we're dumb, and on some days we've done more than one movie. Where do you... I know where you the Mangler top five. ranks I just, I for that up you. Top. Yeah. Where do you think it would rank on IMDb's list? I would guess middle. 31. I'm going to say 31 out of 35. That's a I guess I don't know what, what else is on the list, but... 34. <laughs> Whoa! Out of 35. Wow. The only film below it is The Devil's Gift. I am oh, not familiar okay. with that. Which is... Which... Cinema. Yeah. Sure. I, I'd go into it, but I'll I just send you the, the episode of my I'll, I'll, listen <laughs> yeah. your, I'll listen to your podcast. It, um, they're, they're right that that is in the bottom tier. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure out what our, what our list maybe is later, but that is where the Mangler lives. That's um, insane. It's... It's not... It's... 100% like all the way at the bottom of King this adaptations is... for most people. It was very poorly Even... received when it came out though as well, right? Oh yeah. I, like I think people Stephen King films are super weird. Like there's a certain amount of prestige just by slapping Stephen King's name on it. I you guys cover the Lawnmower Man? Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. Yes. So yeah, just putting putting the Stephen King name on it, I think people expect something and then I think that this maybe they just didn't know what they were getting into? I'm not sure how to this analyze. This feels like such a Stephen Kingy Stephen King movie, though, to me. I think As people. I think people want like prestige Stephen King, and then they get this, which is a but they want misery, like Victoria, Lasher, there laundry. Are only, there are three to five prestige Stephen King movies. Sure, but I think people want them. I think people like have this idea when they're like, or at least they did in like the heyday. I think they're all going to be the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. I think I think they do. I think they're like, well, if it's Stephen King, it's going to be. And I don't think they were expecting like this kind of gritty, disgusting, messy film. Which well, is, those are the all other lovely thing. adjectives. Like, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this movie is completely off the rails. Like, it's nuts. And <laughs> so this is where I turn around and say, Jim, even though I completely agree with you that this movie is yeah. beautiful and one yeah. of the best movies that we've watched, yeah. there was not a moment during watching it that yeah. I didn't see exactly how much most people would hate this movie. Here's a, this is maybe just a point of confusion for me generally, though. Is that it is no? This is why I'm bringing it back up. Is that is that this is a recurring theme? All of the Stephen King movies we've watched that have been good have been pretty bonkers, and it seems like a hallmark of Stephen King that all of his stuff is pretty bonkers, and so it's weird to me then for people to be upset or disappointed when that's what they're getting. Because that's kind of what you're signing up for. They're bonkers there's a, there's in terms fundamental of... fundamental craziness to all of his stuff. They're bonkers in terms of plot, but not in terms of style. And that's actually what I want to get to right, okay. before we... I mean, we're, we're, we're already running long, but <laughs> because this movie is just so full. Yeah. This movie, stylistically, is... It's pitched at this incredible height... Mm -hmm. Of just absolute, total, like, everything in the laundry uh, facility is so ornately art-directed. It's like yeah. if Tim Burton actually made dark movies as opposed to Tim Burton movies. Yeah. 
Um, so it's, so it's ev- like if after Batman Returns he had become an adult. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it's like everything is this like really intensely sculpted and and crafted environment that we're saying sure. is is slimy and weird and dark, but it also yeah. is so clearly built and yeah. artificial and created that it's almost, I mean, you, you mentioned how the foreman has white paint in his hair, like he's made yeah. up for a stage and it feels almost like a theatrical production at times Yeah, because Agreed. you're very much, maybe it's just a function of how big the mangler is that there's mm-hmm. a limit to, to how many angles you can do with that construction. Sure. But it, it almost does feel like there's some sort of proscenium arch or at least like 75% of one going yeah. on, especially with the catwalk that they're walking back and forth on. And then when you add in the sound work where there's mm-hmm. constantly sounds of things going and also it's and 100% this is where ADR I was gonna it's 100% ADR this is where we bring Popeye back into it as I promised we would mm-hmm. everyone is mumbling all the time to themselves yeah. at first I thought it was just supposed to be Robert England's character but sure. then Ted Levine does it yeah. and his brother-in-law does it and that's yeah. what made that's where I was confused at first in not liking the brother-in-law is that I I was thinking well this is a movie where they're having people really do a lot of improv with their line mm-hmm. because there's no other way to get that kind of constant stream of consciousness than, than yes. to have actors be spouting that back and forth against each other and and that guy's line delivery just didn't feel um sort of authentically organic in the way that somebody like Levine or England right. can because of who they are yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. it was because I hadn't totally gotten to the to the realization that no this is what this movie is positing this world is like is that everybody sure. is moving through this space just spouting things and yeah. just like everything comes out and everything bubbles over and everything you know everybody comes in from the side JJ Pictureman just shows up whenever yeah. you you know think that he's not supposed Sorry, to Jason. And, J J J J Picture Man. Sorry, don't J J J Picture Man. Don't forget the third J. That's his <laughs> business card. So anyway, so so this style is so weird and suffocating and off-putting that I 100% any normal audience sitting down within five minutes would be like, what am I watching? It'd be like people going to see a Terry Gilliam film. People don't generally like Terry Gilliam films. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. His most popular movie is 12 Monkeys, and that's because it's the least like a Terry Gilliam film. I didn't even, I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. I know you don't. That's why I bring it up because it's fun to talk to you about. <laughs> people don't because they you're just a don't wonderful like style. No, people don't. No, people like things. Because here's the other. This is the thing I was going to say before style. you started this whole this whole train, which is the. Uh, it's weird to me that people would rank it so low just on account of. I feel like so many of these movies that we've watched have been. I say this a little hesitantly, but like low production value. They've seemed cheap. They've seemed underfunded for what they're trying to do uh a few of them very like the the one that is worse than this whatever the devil's monkey is terrible right it's very cheap not terrible it's just very cheap and this movie feels like it's made with a budget and it feels like it's made very competently and i feel like even if you don't like what it's doing i can't imagine how you wouldn't respect that it's being made by a group of professionals who are doing a very good job putting together a thing with strong production values. I think that's well, not I guess if you hate people. those production values. Yeah, I mean, v- v- Victoria... But I think I, that would put it at, like, at least 28, you know? The the thing that you always miss, Jim, and it's the thing that I love about you, because you're this amazing... You're like an innocent abroad. You're, I like, you, you have... The way your brain is shaped, and it's the reason your movies are so good, is because you see things in a certain way, and then you don't have all of the baggage 
of how, like, society tells you to see them. But when people come into a movie like this, they don't see competent style put forth. They see somebody who doesn't know how to make a movie that looks like other movies. That's and so crazy. they see a movie that is badly made. That's completely insane. This is I don't know if Victoria work. will back me up on that or not. I, th- I think that's accurate, because I c- imagine if, you, if I went to this film when it came out as an adult person, and not a creepy child, um, <laughs> I would expect, you know, you're, you start out with one particular thing and one particular feeling, and then there's just a hard tonal shift, and then it's kind of going back and forth in different places, different kind of styles. And I think that's really hard to kind of stick with if that's not, if you... If you want just a straightforward kind of like slasher flick or whatever, this is not that. No, it's not a cop movie. This is not that. And so I think it's kind of hard to place and then kind of accept that as doing its own. I understand that like A Nightmare on Elm Street's whole business is being weird because it's using dream logic, but this doesn't seem like it's being weirder than that. And people love that, and that's Robert England. It's stylistic. This movie, Jason, is so well made that it makes me want to punch Toby Hooper in the (laughs) face and take his teeth and put them in a jar that I can wear around my neck. Well, it would be easy to do because he's a corpse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just have to find him. I would have to dig him up and then punch his teeth. I'm sure someone has done this already. (laughs) Punched his teeth? No, take his teeth. Teeth are gone. Come on, you think so? <laughs> oh yeah. You I think mean, I can get them on Etsy? I guess if I'll, anybody I'll just pay money for them. I guess if anybody was really begging to be dug up and turned into a corpse sculpture, it was Toby Hooper. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um so the here's the thing to Jim. It's absolutely beautifully well made. But yeah. and, and this is what I mean by you are yeah. free in in large part you are free of these dictates on your consciousness that sort of like we all we normal people like victoria and i have we we have to struggle with when whenever we go into a movie we I have all of these distinction the these you know social voices telling us what things are supposed to be nightmare on elm street is it contains its bonkersness right it makes to a point of saying or whatever. right it makes a point of saying like this is a dream therefore things get bonkers and when things aren't bonkers they're normal and you have a normal quote normal way of presenting reality and then you move into the dream space and so you get licensed to be bonkers but if you are being a genuine artist and just trying to create a world that is the way that you see the world as it's supposed to be. People don't know where to stop. They don't have that certainty. They don't have that reassurance of like, well, wait, where's normal and where does this start and where does it stop? And what am I supposed to feel? People want to know what they're supposed to feel. You you don't think people can watch the first 10 minutes of a movie and figure out what's normal from that? Nope. Within that movie's world? That seems so easy to do. That That just sounds like people don't go into movies with faith in their hearts. I think that's probably true. I don't mean, like, God faith. I mean, like, filmmaker faith. No. Faith of the Um, No, I don't. And maybe I'm being unfair to my fellow man, but (laughs) I'm looking at this list. I'm looking at this list. How else could it rank so low? Yeah. Um, and I'll, also, I just you know we this this is something we've talked about on our regular That's podcast so at length, and something that Victoria and I have definitely experienced in our uh, you know work teaching and and dealing with like film students even who should know better. They come in and they think they know how things are supposed to work, and so if things deviate from that, their first assumption is this is wrong. Their first assumption is to try to fit it into the schema they already have in their heads, as opposed to allow the work to reform them. Sorry, I didn't mean to get on such a soapbox there, but... It's alright. You're allowed to um, say You love your soapbox. I do feel like Victoria Beautiful has talked box. for three and a half minutes total. And it's oh no, I gave the horrible, horrible rundown yeah, of everything that happened. No, we made her recap the whole movie. Are you kidding? Yeah. Give the rundown. It was a good rundown. <laughs> We've been more cruel to her than any other guest. We made her give the whole rundown. 
Have you used the restroom? This might be a personal question since watching the film. <laughs> Are you a pervert? Does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> it is irrelevant. I, I indeed have used the restroom. Jim, why are you asking that? Are you a pervert? I have not been eaten by the mangler. Okay. My childhood yeah. fears have been kind of soothed here. Uh, well, we should we should probably wrap this up and, sure. and let Victoria fly Thank away. Thank you so much, Victoria. <laughs> Thank you for having me, I think. It was so delightful <laughs> having you. I'm sorry we made you spend eight minutes summing up this movie and didn't let you talk aside from that. Uh, you know, was a, it? I had a good time. I'm glad I got to rewatch this. I will have to watch a few more King movies. All right, we're out. We'll see you all tomorrow night. For we're gonna gonna start the the last week the last week of movies that I'll ever watch because I'm not living to see the sun on November first. I'm gonna at the end of our final movie. I'm gonna sell my eyeballs on eBay. <laughs> I have a dollar. They're yours. <laughs> Never mind. Cancel the eBay auction. I'm selling Rad. it to Victoria for an hour for a dollar. Oh, Victoria, I'm glad you're getting something <laughs> out of this tonight. I got some eyeballs, you know. Hell to the King is a special presentation of the Synesthesia Podcast. Produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Music by Loyalty Freak. Hell to the King is recorded by deeply stupid men who regret most of the decisions they have ever made. It is irrelevant if I am a pervert.